Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavyhops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. Again, in, in your totalitarian state of censorship over there and uh, <laughs> sexual shaming and male genital mutilation and um, and whatever else you you get going on, whatever and gets you going. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. My name's Sam. Joining us are Johannes Eckerstrom and Jan Alfredson, vocalist and drummer, respectively, of the Gothenburg-based metal band Avatar. We discuss the band's live stream series, building success in America following 2012's The Black Waltz, and competitiveness. Johannes walks us through the hunter-gatherer album concept, where he's finding inspiration. Let's dive and get heavy with Johannes and Jan of Avatar. Uh, Johannes and John, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on uh, on Heavy Hops this week. We're really glad to see you guys. Well, happy to be here. We are very glad to see you too. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been way 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 too long. I think let's uh, let's first kind of talk about some things that you've been up to uh, up to recently. Um, you recorded a. Uh, you know, you had like a live stream performance that you did in January each weekend. Was a different performance that had uh, fan selected or guided uh, set lists. Um, how important was it for you to kind of distinguish what you were doing from other uh, streaming sort of uh, streaming sets that were online from other bands, or was that something that like you didn't even think about and you were like, we're just going to do our thing? No, we think about those kind of things a lot. Yeah, we are a very compet uh, com- competition. What do you say? Competitive. Like, yeah, yeah, competitive. Competitive. Mm-hmm. We're very much born and raised into being such, I don't know, douchebags. <laughs> we are we are miserable cunts uh, when like just that we um, are able to suck the joy out of most things we're doing. Uh, I remember when I was 12 and, and, you know, heard music and it gave me joy. And by the age of 12 and a half, I learned how that you could quantify uh, your abilities in measurable <laughs> ways that meant that it was a, an acceptable and unacceptable um, but, bullshit. But the, the real thing is, yeah, we are kind of competitive, but it's, it's just also an artistic drive where we, we don't to, to, to do what to everyone a- else has been doing. Exactly. To be a little bit serious, it's, it's half of it, like, or not even half, like 10% of it was competing with what everybody else was doing. But the second part that was made it take so long because a lot of fans jumped right on doing the live stream shows, right? As soon as COVID hit, it took like one month. And then the first band was doing live stream shows. Uh, and the reason it took so long for us was to figure out the medium, like the new way of um, making a show happen and mm. and uh, set up the framework what makes a show in this very specific uh, art form or me- form of medium. Uh, yeah, like because in the beginning we really, and especially 
I think I was the most adamant, but I think the whole band felt like, let's not do a live stream because that would be, you know, it would be like doing it with a sex doll. You know, it would be said that the, the human interaction would be lacking and the importance of, like that's such an important part of what we're doing and what we do on stage or what any concert is. If it doesn't, you need the smell, you need your face shoved into the armpit of men you don't know. And uh, without lacking, I for the longest time could, didn't, couldn't imagine what a live stream like that would be without it. And then John uh, was pitching his ideas that he had gathered, you know, throughout the summer and fall to me of uh, what it actually could be. And so instead of seeing it as, as a, that we suddenly are limited with what we, uh, Instead of focusing on what it isn't, uh, John, you know, helped us realize that there are a bunch of things that it can be, that it couldn't be if we were to go on the road. Kind of at the same time, we also saw the behemoth live stream and yeah. like a, lo a lot of like uh, other bands that were doing something else than just setting up a empty venue with a stage and pretending it was a, a crowd in front of them. Uh, yeah. They start and, to figure know, it out. Yeah, bands started to figure it out, and we stole some from some and uh, some from, from and, some from uh, Bima, some, some from other places. Exactly, and also like the you know stole some cool ideas, but also I guess m more importantly is like I really loved Behemoth's live stream, for instance, and I really loved all the different one that Devin Townsend did, and it's well documented. I'm a mega fan. And they, they were, those shows were all polar opposites of each other and mm -hmm. presentation, you know, like what they were, but they were all ended up being in my, from my point of view, like perfect representations of what those bands are about. It yes. all came across and that made it interesting that then, okay, what is an avatar stream? And I think we figured it out. I think you did. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm like, I'm kind of curious when you were, I had no idea you guys kept all your previous sets and costumes in a warehouse. Um, so how was it going through this memory bank of years past and digging up these relics? Did it, um, obviously it sparked, you know, creative influence in you for these sets, but do you feel like it's going to extend beyond this into your next live show? Do you feel like you're going to take elements of the past and reincorporate them in some way? I think we always do in, in small ways, at least. I always look at, you know, the, I like the Michael Jackson thing of, oh, a smooth criminal, so I will wear the white jacket now. You know, like <laughs> you, you can do, recreate it to a certain extent like that without it being overbearing. So at the minimum, we have that going for us, but I don't think... I don't think I would like to go too far into that at this point, because then you would be too stuck in the past. And then it would feel too much like a summary if we would bring that kind of thing on the road, maybe, or maybe I change my mind tomorrow. John, for, uh, for you uh, as well, like when you and Johannes and the guys are all talking about what you want to do, what does kind of a brainstorm look like for a project like that? Project like ages, like it's, how does a brainstorm look like? I mean, it's not like it's an idea that we got on one meeting. The concept of ages 
I think we worked on that for it took probably seven months, I think, from or six months, almost half just a to, year. Just to put the set that the stages were in a circle took months. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I found an old blueprint of that this elaborate room structure was supposed to have first. Yeah, uh, just the other day I said, like, oh yeah, right, that is what it was for a while. Yeah, and so things evolve slowly over time. And for like, we're talking a lot. Like we have our Monday band meetings or weekly band meetings, and uh we bounce ideas on messenger and whatever high-tech uh, ways we can pass messages to through uh and it slowly evolves like uh, it's been through a lot of different stages like for for one one time period we were thinking of doing like a world tour <laughs> where we like oh, I, shit, I, I, yeah. I, I i for a while it was a huge idea much bigger than ages and we simply could not pull that off but like for a brief period of time we had a vision of like doing a world tour where we would make create our own uh, web app where you could stream it and and it would be geo targeted so like we were gonna play in london one night then you can only see the show if you're physically in london <laughs> And uh, and to make the uh, uh, fan voting thing to create that so that went Bandersnatch. Real live Bandersnatch. I yeah, forgot like, about that. They do like in Black yeah. Mirror that they would yeah. really find <laughs> out and put up the four options for the next song, like uh, during the song before, and people vote. And people, we would have a guy standing in a merch booth that they could, you know, that's a, I don't know, yeah, they, yeah, would they, FaceTime they, purchases. Yeah. yeah, we were supposed <laughs> to do like a live streaming video merch shopping experience, you know. Mm -hmm. but, and get so, as close to being in a venue as possible. Oh, wow, this is... It's, it's actually a cool so, idea. Yeah, but it was just, <laughs> if I remember, it's when we looked at asking the programmers, okay, how long would it take? How much would it cost? Yeah, we just like <laughs> we realized that this is gonna cost like fucking millions. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. no way we are gonna financially recover from such a uh, uh, elaborate uh, mm -hmm. idea. But for that, we made like a treatment of. I think we have like a four-page PDF yeah. of the and then describing the concept. Rent and <laughs> just <laughs> so far uh, we. When we come up also with, and you know, I guess for the crew, it would be nice to sleep on a tour bus outside a warehouse where we do it. Because <laughs> renting a nightliner would be cheaper than hotel rooms. <laughs> and like, guys, it's, isn't it great? It's just like being on tour again. <laughs> really capture uh, the essence of being on tour, right? For the crew. Like, I, I would stay <laughs> on the bus. No, uh, yeah, it's this. Oh, yeah. Oh wow! Um, yeah, uh, one thing you about guys, this. Uh, <laughs> sorry, one thing about this is that there was a core. All these crazy paths you take along the way, where where it could end up. There was a core of an idea that was that phone call John had with me at the at the end of the summer, which ultimately led to the live to what we had. And then you have the free brainstorm along the way. And I think that's very common that you need that if you get that core, that kernel of that essence of what it should be, then it can take all wild direction along the way without you feeling lost. I don't know, like when we did the a secret door music video, 
um, I had seen Suspiria and the re the remake and the dance murder scene and like oh <laughs> you know and and that ideas that came from that kind of became the core for it then mm -hmm. you know we did actually shoot that video in August and uh, I remember like during the shooting of the Secret Door video uh, which is the video that has the uh, the room with all the doors, uh, if you've seen it. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember that I was just like, of course, to save money as usual, we built the set, meaning me, Jonas, and Tim, basically, and Henrik, uh, who lives in Sweden. So we. I'm too famous to do that. <laughs> we, we, we were the carpenters, so we worked on, uh, you know, putting up that set for a couple of days before we shot that video. And I remember I thought, like, ah, this looks fucking cool. It's such a shame that we're just going to use this once. And like in two days, we're going to do be done with this video and we're just going to tear it down. That, it's such a shame. And I remember that. That was when I felt like, or had the idea like, right, let's save some money and save the set. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> let's, let's not tear it down and just put it to storage so, so we can already have half the set built for a live stream show and uh, oh yeah because then yeah. we're going to build a full room of it it's funny let's save some money it's yeah. exactly opposite <laughs> of what happened well uh you you ended up with uh another use for it um yeah i mean knowing you guys like i i feel as though you always kind of go over the top and you start with like very big ideas for productions and for concepts and then uh, as reality sets in you kind of scale them back into what you figure out is reasonable or you kind of learn what's reasonable too uh by yeah. exerting yeah. yourself and throwing yourself at it um i was going to ask about cgi because i was wondering if that was something you had thought of when you're talking about like the different uh, elements of your show and like you have the merch area and I know at some shows you have like a special merch setup um, of incorporating those elements into the experience as well. Like CGI like virtual reality or CGI mm -hmm. like Yes, I'm sorry, we can, the virtual reality yeah. Oh, for the concert uh, stuff? Yeah. Sure, pay me. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it was mentioned at some point. If as far as yeah, it was, it was right. But also, yeah, for a little while it was. Uh, we had some ideas doing the 360 cameras and stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. uh, but then also, like the, there is something with having someone who knows how when to say camera one, camera two to make it good yeah. to do it. Like that was one thing. Speaking of Behemoth again, like they i did pay for the thing of being able to choose camera mm -hmm. ang angles and during their stream and after five minutes uh, you know i just hit director's cut and watched what they the, the way they did it instead because that gave it a, a certain flow and i could lean back and enjoy my behemoth show instead of you know clicking around it became gimmicky you know yeah no, I agree. I did the same, and I just ended up hitting director's cut because yeah. it, it became a chore at one point. It was just yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> you know, you had those moments of, oh, it's really fast, and the drums not click <laughs> snare. You know, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> that, that, that was most what you got from it. And then, you know, you tried to chase, if you could see crew people, like, and you did everything but losing yourself in what they were doing. So, 
Mm -hmm. Like I said, work better with the director's cuts. Absolutely. And when, I don't know, when it comes to these shows, like Behemoth obviously spent a lot of money and you guys spent a lot of money. Was the cost factor in making your money back and breaking even um, important to you? Or was it just being able to show the people something in this time when they can't really have anything else? We are, uh, I, I, I did not start mining Bitcoin uh, uh, 15 <laughs> years ago, so I just don't. Uh, it's it's not an option for us to try to not at least break even on things and and continue as a band. You know, like it's there is, but it all goes hand in hand if you do what we do. Like there is the reason we want to continue and do this for a living. It's based on an artistic drive to you know do the artsy fartsy stuff that we get to do and and live that life mm-hmm. uh, but we, it has to be done in or we have to attempt always to do it in some kind of somewhat sound with somewhat sound business models for how to not be homeless after the fact mm-hmm. because of course we could always do that but then yeah it, it was a risk you don't know before you know and it was a risk we were willing to take also because we always gladly bet on ourselves and we believe in what we do and yeah we want to do it and we'd rather fail at something we want to do than succeed in something we don't want to do yeah but yeah we just sit there and you know with a with a calculator and try to get your ducks in a row while doing it absolutely and i think your frugalness too comes into play there like your john your willingness to build a set and probably extends beyond just building doors to kind of you know make things work um mm. I don't really know of a lot of bands who put in that kind of manual labor. I, I'm, I'm not going to take full credit of building the entire Aegis set <laughs> because I did not, that is for sure. But uh, yeah, we are pretty hands-on on a lot of things that we do. When uh, we can be and with also, there's also that thing always like you can't outsource passion and uh, no one will give more fucks than we will uh so there's that side part of it as well you know then at some point things end up being way above our pay grade where we too dumb or uh, inept to to pull off what we that piece of the puzzle that we need for our thing to be as good as possible and then of course we get outside help Mm -hmm. when it makes sense yeah because sometimes you also have to like rehearse (laughs) <laughs> or exactly. play drums <laughs> so exactly i would love to kind of jump into uh a little bit about hunter gatherer and as far as the some of like the con- i wouldn't i would say i wouldn't say conceptual basis but some of the ideas that you're contending with in that album uh come from sapiens by yoval mm-hmm. harari and the album was recorded in 2020 as the pandemic has kind of rolled uh, out yeah, here. Yeah, started recording 2019 and just finalized vocals in 2020. So okay, it's all pre, pre-pandemic. Correct. So all pre-pandemic. Uh, as the pandemic has kind of rolled out and you look back on, or how do you look back on those like lyrics and themes as the pandemic has rolled out? But, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of the, you know, uh, darker aspects of what was sung about uh, 
kind of fell kind of nicely in line with uh, what's been going on in the world. But it's pre-pandemic, all the problems were there. You know, there is a there is a reason we ended up where we are, and and you suddenly remember realize that we were already teenagers talking about when the big when the virus when mother earth will try to shake off us uh, shake us off like a bad case of fleas like george carlin said you know at some point those things will happen in, in our lifetime and so those ideas i guess we were were well well developed in our minds long before even this album um yeah i mean it's pretty fucking metal too uh on top of that and it's and a lot of these ideas are topics that you see in extreme metal as well as like in literature. Um, and I'm kind of curious about the sort of connection that your kind of vegan diet plays into it. Obviously the, uh, the themes of the album have aged uh, pretty well in a lot of senses. And we've seen a lot of correlations in what we've experienced and what, uh, what you write about. Uh, how does your vegan diet kind of play into this incidentally? Uh, well, it, it all, uh, um, well, the, the short, very simple answer, I guess, is that you make music about what's on your mind and you make, whether you want to or, or not, so, you know, even, I think even if you try to, even if I would try to do lyrics about something else, tiny impulses would always pull it towards whatever you got on your mind at that time. Uh, so it's just we are i guess as a band quite interested in what happens around us what happens what happens within us about i guess moral philosophy and just trying to figure out what is the right thing to do with your time on this planet and those big questions and the big anger that comes with those big questions so it's yeah it's it's all water from the same well there that you know we look at the world in a certain way makes us make dietary choices like choices as consumers and choices as artists i think but i think that's also true if you're a shitty old glam band that uh, you know just think about you know decadence and <laughs> And don't give a fuck about the consequences to human beings around you. And then you make, then you write girls, 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 you know, it's just the same. You take it from your same, well, very shallow well in that case. And you're the same. Although pilot. Tommy Lee is uh, heavily involved in animal rights. Oh, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> did, he, did, did he write girls, girls, girls? I do not know. <laughs> Must be true. Uh, so as you get bigger and your audience grows, how do you view your role in kind of spreading this message further to people? Because these themes kind of lie deeper in your lyrics and if people aren't really seeking them out, um, they're not really gonna find them. So how do you push this message of uh, your vegan message forward and that we are kind of in this together? Well, one, I try to remember now how, well, explicit about animal rights that was already on our uh, second album with the song Schlacht, you know, so th that's been on record for, you know, well, well over a decade at this point. 
Um, well, I, I think we talk about it more now, but it's also, it's one of many things we are doing and that we are trying to achieve with, uh, uh, with the music and with the lyrics, with the songs and what we are doing as a band. So maybe it gets lost in the shuffle sometimes, but it's also, well, I guess your real question, I guess there was the, right, how I, how I view my role and how maybe we view our role. I think we have no obligation to say one thing or the other about anything. I mean, as artists, you know, like it's the same thing, like we bear no responsibility other than towards ourselves and with, to do what we feel good about, what's, you know, whatever gets us through the night, basically. Uh, so, yeah, I don't feel obligated to say or do anything really artistically aside from what I am driven and compelled to do at any given time. I believe that Hunter Gatherer took it a step more to be a bit more straightforward with certain things. I think maybe uh, a line like bird carcass with a belly full of plastic one more year and I'll be a millionaire. Um, kind of, you know, it's, it's still not a straightforward essay, but I think it's fairly straightforward that in, in what ballpark the problem seems to lie according to Avatar of the band. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I guess I don't know if I answered your question, but I just, I think it's, it's always a, it's always a strange balance there. Like I, I do feel that inevitably it's a quote from Bob Marley from some documentary I saw years ago, but everything is politics mom. So in that sense, everything you do kind of fits into where you stand as a human being and what you stand for, whether you meant for it to do that or not. Absolutely. You know, if you say, you know, if, if you say I'm not political and then the song says, let's say bend over bitch or I'm having steak, then you are okay with steaks and you're okay with misogyny, you know, like it's, uh, and then you can say that you're not political, but you just took a stance, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah. Are you ever going to take the stance and pull a Morrissey where you won't, uh, you won't play a festival until all meets stops cooking on the grills? No, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that helps. Like, no, I think, <laughs> like we, I think we are gladly see, you know, lessen suffering in the world, but also I think there's a value to not to find the right balance in how confront if, if you, to the extent that we might have, may or may not have an agenda and which I don't really feel like we do aside from, you know, being accountable for whatever words we put out there. Uh, I don't think that always that, you, you know, like the, usually the bands who do that, they get to preach for the choir exclusively you know, and, uh, and, uh, I am number one, not super interested in, in preaching, but if I am to have a good dialogue, uh, honesty, yeah, but also truly inclusiveness, you know, like, and if you want to really connect with someone, you know, you know, you need to meet people where they are at. Absolutely. So, I don't know, like, or maybe, I don't know, like if, if someone can quantify it, did, that is Morrissey and Paul McCartney does probably not like that at all in terms of, I don't know. And who, who has helped this cost the most when it mm -hmm. comes to animal rights? 
I yeah. don't think it's Morrissey. No, I don't either. I think you're right. It is meeting people middle of the road and being, I guess, just casual about it in a, in a sense, you know, I'm not going to my friends and preaching, you know, what they should eat. And I don't yeah, think casual, but at the same time, also honest, be honest and open about it. Like there is a way to do this and, you know, then someone will always feel attacked, whatever you do. You can't worry about that either, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. like, you, so like if, you, if, if I say I'm making tofu for myself, someone will say, dude, you have to shove it in my face. You know, and it's like, fuck you. Yeah, I'd actually, I would like to shove it somewhere else and then in your face. And, uh, but, you know, like you can't win either. Mm-hmm. So you just got to do you, which is, I don't know, general good life lessons. <laughs> yeah, a good, good general practice. And also, like, I think setting a good example as well can go a long way too, to getting people kind of on board with, with that as well. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges that you guys have kind of experienced uh, along the way here. Um you know, challenges are formative in shaping your kind of understanding of what uh, what and who is around you. And it can also kind of contribute to like a deeper memory bank. And that can change like your decisions based on like how you kind of go about your career, right? Um, are challenges and challenges kind of over time, have they been formative for you guys? And how do you view them in a way? I mean, clearly you steep, you try to go above and beyond in a lot of ways and challenge yourselves. Is that important? Well, evidence it must be because of how we work. Right, John? Like it's, um, I we have done this together for more than half our lives now. And somehow I feel like we as a band feel we are just getting started and we always discover something new and in the studio on our instruments in terms of songwriting in terms of what you can do on stage like we it's still so damn exciting to me it's still like it's still so like we're just getting started scraping the surface whatever we did yesterday is a fucking joke compared to what's going to happen tomorrow i that might and i think that comes from looking for challenges and being a bit restless and being a bit you know what's called burnt soil tactic <laughs> like that you know you do one thing all the way but then you have done that if, if you if you truly feel you've done it all the way then you want to do the next thing i mean black walls was a pretty successful album compared to the three album we've done before that uh and when we did Halia Pocket, like we could be sitting. When when is Blackwalls? That is like 2012. 12. Right? Yeah. 2012. Mm-hmm. We we could have been sitting here also now nine years later, just released Blackwalls four, <laughs> or not even Blackwalls five. We could have just released Blackwalls five. Uh, and our and our porter beer black malts. And there's like. <laughs> If we would have, uh, for sure, one thing is for sure, it would not be as good as Blackwalls. Uh, mm. We would just try. We would try so fucking hard, so we would shit our pants. Uh, so it would be a you know mediocre 
album most likely and at the same time we would probably be absolutely drained uh and jaded and bored and so and everything whether we somehow we managed to find out what's the new new thing to do where it's like how do we do that this now you know whether it be we did a recorded hail apocalypse live we did a concept album after that not knowing what we were doing we did a comedy and almost it was like an arg experiment with all of our audience joining in and calling jonas a king and then we went back to you know again talking about bird carcasses or and this whole journey we're on now where it will we will see afterwards what we actually learned but uh, once we truly are on the other side of, of it but we keep and now that we we lost a year of touring obviously we've been able to stay busy and songs are being written and too many songs are being written which is awesome and exhausting and wonderful and everything at the same time and we're just i don't know, like this oh my god what's going on <laughs> what the hell are we doing this can be so many different things and everything that everyone is doing right now is like everyone are writing new songs that they didn't write last year or two or you know years ago and that is it's happening again and because of this situation just the method okay i'm stuck here for a while i won't come over as often said so now we're going to work like this and and on the songs you know which we don't even know when they will come out because who the fuck knows what will happen and when we are actually it's just that we're in the beginning of something that we don't know what it is but we keep doing it and it's again completely different we are rehearsing for fun for oh yeah that's first one time for uh, for i don't know 15 years <laughs> mm-hmm. you know uh, every every time we've been re- for the last decade <laughs> we've been rehearsing because we have to in one way or another like there's mm-hmm. a tour coming up or we are going to hit the studio in one and a half months and we have not rehearsed shit. So Holy shit, this we is exactly have right. to rehearse and it's fucking urgent. Uh, this is exactly, we're back in high school. I didn't realize that it's like, you, that, that someone in the free time is like, all right, I wrote the phone and the other guy's, okay, so we guess we'll go and learn it now. And yeah. now we, yeah, that's, that is yeah. what we are doing here yeah. on, on Western Sweden, uh, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, uh, we are writing songs and we are rehearsing them because it's fun, and we have no idea when we're gonna record them, what songs we're gonna record. Like because in this pile of experiments, is we have some of the most progressive, intricate stuff we have ever written, and we also have some of the filthiest most punk stuff we have ever written it's all in the same pile right now of nonsense and this yeah it's uh, and it will probably be neither of those things because we still have so much ahead of us and you know time and intuition will i guess tell what this will be but it's yeah it's like we before we hit record here we uh it was um you know when asking how we were doing and i said like i think we're doing much better than we have any right to do as you know and we realize being fully aware of a very privileged position personally and professionally and 
comparably to how things could be going right now, uh, we gratefully so, like we are um, doing pretty fucking well. And this creative flow we're on now is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So as part of the kind of creative impetus that's happening now, a different sense of purpose when it comes to why you're, how you're approaching music? Um, spontaneous, I want to say, not, not at all. Like there's like the sense of, I think it's, because when you say purpose, it sounds, uh, it sounds again, very goal oriented. And mm -hmm. I think now what happened is like, we are just, I guess we're just doing this thing to, to get through the times we are in. And yes, yeah, so and that purpose, that back to the core, like it's just a lot of writing and playing for the sake of writing and playing, which never really went away. It's not that we, you know, again, we don't feel, we never felt jaded as a band, but uh, I guess now it ha doesn't have to compete with anything else uh, when, as we are working now. So it's just that create for the sake of creating. It's sandcastles. We're we're building sandcastle right now, so yeah, in a in a sweet way, maybe there's a that's that kind of sense of purpose there, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I guess I'm just kind of wondering where some of the new kind of sources of inspiration uh, are coming from, and if at the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, everyone was kind of saying, "Oh, use this time." to work on your creative skills and to do all these other things um, that involved like, you know, defining your craft and redefine or redefining yourself if you weren't happy with where you were at that time. Um, yeah, are you I'm, looking I'm, at, uh, sorry. No, I, I, sorry, I, I will let you finish that question. I'm just already getting upset. <laughs> no, 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 but not, I, in a way, I am kind of trying to provoke you, so this is working. No, That's no, great. Uh, no, no, you're not. You're not upsetting me because we're putting this in kind of third person. I guess, like, yeah, they, they, they are saying this. And sure, it's true that you know in this period I've been working on L-shaped uh, chin-ups. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess that's a redefining thing, and uh, you know using the dining table for horizontal rows and paid for a meditation app. But also, I'm honestly, you know, people, fuck that. There's a pandemic going on and we're stuck inside. People are losing their jobs and like, and uh, to different extents, like all good or bad people in charge in various countries are still, you know, failing to different extents to, to deal with this because what the fuck do you do? And People don't get to see family. Uh, infants are born with this virus, uh, like and and people are very very lonely and worry about the future. And yeah, if you, if it helps you right now to go, you know, to get if it helps you get through to to go out and work on reaching that 10k run and uh, and try to learn to levitate and buy your fucking crystals and put them around your fucking bed or whatever, you know, then go ahead by all means. But it's also, there's a background noise, background noise of depression going on where dude, go and buy some ice cream. It's okay. 
sucks, you know. Go and masturbate ten times per day just to deal with your anxiety, like some if you were in like solitary confinement, because it's it has to be fine, you know, like like to, to treat that the biggest medical crisis in a hundred years um, that affected our species to to treat this whole year like some like you're you're a fucking chapter in some self-help literature the most disgusting <laughs> writing since mein Kampf it's just <laughs> fucked up and morally reprehensive so like it's just oh poof. okay rant over <laughs> just fuck, it it fuck was that. fucked up seeing that like uh-huh. reading all this like these ways of spinning something that like didn't really acknowledge where things actually were it was just like a oh we can just ignore all this stuff and like there's uh, literally you think, of, think about yourself for once and it's kind uh-huh. of like, uh, that's that's why we are where we are we are you know think like about we, yourself for once yeah, people have been the reason we were stuck in this pandemic to begin with is that people were not selfish and self-obsessed enough we are you know it's weird like in this day and age before prior to this pandemic some two things seem to happen you know at the same time one good one bad and uh, one good is slowly stigma around the mental health issues is you know is lessened you know like it's it's more okay to be depressed people get more educated on it overall you know it's a trend it's a, all, all these things are always a bumpy road but awareness and that we are not doing great uh, overall it's uh, you know it was increasing good uh, bad side of it i guess is that we all at the same time um, that people in general are getting crazier and <laughs> doing worse mentally a lot of people and the younger you are now the more danger you seem to be in than ever before i think i don't know but i that my impression and uh, and the, in in the last trend is when everybody like okay yeah you cannot you will not yeah look at us here we are on zoom hanging out again you know like it's mm-hmm. so to yeah take this time to yeah fuck crystal <laughs> Healing is all I have to say. Healing crystals. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a wild ride and you're right. It is people's selfishness. That's really digging into this everlasting torment. This could have been over so long ago. If we just, if we did the right thing, if we did, yeah. if we did the thing that looked after the person next to us, instead of looking after ourselves, this would have been over. Well, speak well oh, it's a so good could have never happened yeah that's you know true. and it will and you know we had this is a again wonderful practice round because you know it's still the all the people you know i don't know but don't listen to me in particular on this because i i'm not that person but you know those really really smart educated science people who know things and have phds in relation to pandemics and viruses and stuff they're just waiting for the ticking time bomb that is, you know, your, you know, our chicken factories. And, and we, you know, but McNuggets, I don't think sales will go down after this pandemic either. And we will have the next even bigger thing soon enough within our lifetimes for sure. And it's like, I don't know. I, so I live in Finland. I was just reading an article about this huge, tragic 
problem we are facing now uh, that <laughs> that meat, finished meat, is not profitable enough, except for chicken, because that is uh, such a, they have made that process so industrialized, streamlined, and effective the production <laughs> that luckily that death factory is profitable also domestically. And, like, and okay, we are focusing on this. Every pandemic can be traced back to some domesticated duck or some domesticated horse or pig or some bird of some sort in human history. That's how the big ones have come every goddamn time. And, you know, it's, isn't it Spanish flu? Was a pig farm in Kansas or something? You know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yep. Every time. Without fail. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, yeah, uh, sorry. It's, uh, I don't know. Uh, we, when, uh, hmm. we, uh, there's, there's always, once you get started, there's a lot to vent, I guess, when we get on this subject and talking about mental health and stuff, how to just deal. We talk about, I don't know, so many, we live in multiple truths at the same time, because if we talk about the music, if we talk about, I speak, speaking for myself, and I think speaking for John and our fellow band members, all in all, in the grand scheme of things, we are, I think we are doing mostly pretty well in our own little bubbles of lives right now, compared to what things could be. There are, we are, there are a bunch of good news in our lives overall. Mm-hmm. So it's not so bad. Uh, but then you get stuck on talking about the world at large and yeah, it gets upsetting and it's weird. Let's, uh, let's bridge back a little bit and look at emerging in the U.S. Uh, a little bit. What were kind of the critical pieces that came together for you guys to uh, be successful or at least like kind of emerge in the U.S.? Because it's really rare for bands from Sweden to break in the U S and succeed. Uh, you know, we've had bands like Meshuga or in flames. And I think probably ghost would be another one that was somewhat recent that, uh, has actually gone on to successfully play venues of 1500 plus as a headliner. Um, Opeth, you know, what I'm on a Mark Sabaton. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Amon Amarth happened a little while ago. Oh, but you're talking about like next level. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry for being such a douche. I didn't mean to sound so sarcastic. No, no, you're good. Uh, (laughs) There are many and uh, shame on me for not remembering all these bands that I, some of whom I know personally. (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, run, run with me for a second here. And let's, let's look at kind of like, what did it take? for all of that to happen and why did you kind of turn to the u.s uh at the point that you did for the money <laughs> <laughs> no it's not it's not like it's not like there's a secret word you just that we just forgot to incorporate in the lyrics all the years and then all of a sudden we just remembered to put that word into the lyrics and all of a sudden everybody in america loved us but I, there's a lot of layers to answer that question, of course. Uh, there's the musical aspect of it, and that comes with Black Waltz, I would presume, which is everything about Black Waltz is we're doing the music we want to do for ourselves, and we do not care what other people think about it, and that makes honest music. 
So that is one part of it, of course. And then there's the second part, and that is meeting the right people at the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember um, my first time seeing you guys was on, I believe it was the bridge between the Black Waltz and Hail of the Apocalypse. And I saw you at a um, Danny Wimmer festival and you guys opened with the title track and I had never heard of you guys before. And I just remember Johannes coming out and the whole get up and then you guys followed out in like a marching procession kind of thing. And then you just rip into that song. I'd never seen a stage show like that. I'd never heard of music like that before. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And was just enthralled for the next 35 minutes that you guys had. Was there an intention in playing in like these B and C markets, because that's where this was. And then also connecting with Danny Wimmer and getting involved in that circuit. Was this like the kind of people who helped propel you guys forward, you feel, or were there other little pieces in play as well? Danny Wimmer uh, oh, absolutely. is one of those persons. Uh, yeah. We were lucky enough to be at the right time, at the right place, at the right everything, uh, yeah, stars align, cool. etc. Sorry, John. Stars align, etc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yes, and luck. You know, the the equation is what is it? Uh, when timing meets preparation, opportunity meets preparation, or whatever. You are only as lucky as you are ready to be. But the opportunity also needs to present them. The opportunities need to present themselves there. Um, but yeah, but. When you talked about it's again like we are a little metal band little metal band from sweden when you talk about the bnc markets that at that time you know still to like we don't really that's early in the days it's not like we like we didn't think bnc markets you know <laughs> yeah we, we played where we got booked which is kind of what we still are doing you know and many times what would be considered um from people living in the big old cities and stuff would be considered a B or C market might be an A market in the world of Avatar because again these different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like uh, for me, I thought, and I look at it very much with uh, with my own lens, but I thought it was just a, a very interesting approach because in those markets, and again, my lens is urban shithead perspective of someone that lives in the third biggest city of Chicago. Um, the third biggest But when you look at things that way, the rest of the world's very small, you know, unless it's bigger than you. And so when I think of places like those markets that you were in, I mean, that's big entertainment. You're coming in and uh, providing something special. And when it's something that is, above and beyond just showing up with a backdrop at the same time, then that can go uh, a pretty long way if that's the only show there for three weeks than if it's one of four shows that week. Sure, but all this only works because it resonates with who we are and what we do at large. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of bands that use buckets of paints and you can't, you know, that, that can be turd polishing 
or even if it's good, if it's less, even if it's not, it's just, it has to make sense with who you are and what you do. I will mention Behemoth for the fifth or sixth time now, um, today. It's, I remember seeing them co-headlining with Cannibal Corpse in Gothenburg. And that was the most awesome example about, again, screw what has worked for anyone else. You have, you have to do you. Because Behemoth played first, and it's this long brooding intro and these weird as shit. Like it's 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 Behemoth. It's a ritual. You are you are religious at least for that hour fifteen or whatever however long they played. Whatever they believe, you believe it too, and it's amazing. And it's very well dressed, well rehearsed, well you know where people stand and what people do. Then right after came Cannibal Corpse. Uh, the backdrop was way too small for the stage. It was all wrinkly and shit. And house music off. They start walking on stage. Light takes that, oh shit, and makes the stage dark. Then they arrive on stage, lights back up. One, two, three, four. And that's it. You know, their t-shirts aren't black anymore. They've been wearing the same for a whole tour. They are, you know, gray-ish with weird stains in the armpits. And it was just as beautiful as the experience that we have had the moment before with Behemoth. Because, and it was through and through, it was Cannibal Corpse. And just the perfect, honest expression of that. So, you know, theatrics isn't the answer in itself. Imagine if Cannibal Corpse would paint their faces, get pyro, get weird as shaped mic stands, get little risers people to stand up, on, you know, have corpse grinder come up from under the floor in a little elevator thing with smoke around, lasers. Imagine in a laser show when a cannibal corpse concert. I would imagine pay twice the ticket. I would imagine, pay twice the normal imagine ticket corpse, price. To see imagine that. corpse grinder in a long matrix leather coat, <laughs> and if it would have that Queen's Reich poofy hair that had around Operation <laughs> Mike. The weird thing is, I, 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 I can see this right in front of me. It's like I would pay anything to see this once, once, one time, right? Yeah. But I could, see, but I could see Cannibal Corpse as they are. I don't know how. Every day in the week, town. every yeah. day in the week, in Human Harvest, the new single is how awesome was that? You know, like it's still got it. So did you, you see know, their, like, speaking of Canva, did you see their new music video, Janus? I have not watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I will as soon as we're done here. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it is very uh, Canva Corpse. Yeah, it's good stuff. So they they found a way to you know I guess you know there's a way of finding what works for you and then owning it, whether it's theatrics or whether it's kind of like a. A, a simple stripped down setup and really or something in between you know or something in between and there's a lot of in between more oh, than yeah. the extremes more often than not right yeah exactly and it's finding yourself and i don't think even it, it's not even a you know a, a line you know with one end to the other it's probably uh, <laughs> at least a triangle <laughs> <you know? laughs> or something it's it's more three-dimensional as well because yeah. it's still not, we're not gore. And I, I always, I, maybe I'm delusional when saying this and just enjoy the smell of my own farts too much. But I also think when I, I'm thinking about what we are doing, like 
I always feel like the key component in what our theatrics are, are our eyes, you know, our I and I think speaking like if we go back to talking about what we did with the live stream and when we did a blast from the past where we played really old stuff, then we did the stuff that were released pre-clown, if you will, were performed pre-clown. We had a <laughs> as someone's wrote on Twitter, guy liners and uh <laughs> <laughs> such a stupid expression that I somehow managed to miss. Uh, <laughs> stupid, uh, you know, and a black shirt, black jeans, and uh, bang our heads crazy to uh, to the sins of our youth, and that seemed to work pretty damn well too, you know. Like, and I think that carries over into, uh, you know, using paint <laughs> in the face and having a coat like, that goes slightly below your hips, you know, uh, and so I, I, we're not gore, you're not covered in blood and pus and foam and whatever, you know, after our shows either. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I thought that using, we could call that period costume in a way. And so I thought it was, uh, it was, a, it was, I, I enjoyed the, all the sets that I saw. And I enjoyed that one, I think, because I have a strong connection to that music. And so that was when I first when found the band. I, guess, right? I think so. Yeah, I think uh, definitely. And I, I thought it was, uh, it was cool to see how you had kind of set up uh, old posters from shows that you had done. I thought it was a nice way to, to bridge all of that together um, mm -hmm. while still kind of moving around a little bit between some of the other uh, scenes that were kind of set up on your, uh, that were all set up too. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I noticed when, uh, when I saw you guys in Chicago in 2018, so there was a, a pretty big gap between when I had seen you in Sweden and we first met each other and then 2018 and, uh, the openers were kind of, I was struck by sort of like the atmosphere of the show. It was very different from most metal shows that I go to. And I think, generally what a metal show is was that the was, time with, was it with helsa poppin and um and brains and the brains yeah yeah it was uh it was unique i mean the oh, uh, there was a lot of kind of everything was sort of intentional and f created a special feeling that day hmm. um you know those openers were uh were really appropriate for what was kind of to come and they set up sort of a a very lively atmosphere that uh you know extreme metal bands may not have captured in a in a certain way uh also you know another thing was the sort of the audience uh, since i'm you know uh, an urban guy from Chicago that knows the world. I know everyone that is in my, you know, scene intelligentsia, right? Um, <laughs> none of them were at that show. And it was a completely different audience, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and it was the only show that I've been to probably in like, f you know, five, six years where I didn't really recognize anyone at all. And it was amazing to see a totally to me, a new group of people. I mean, I could have been new to them as well, but a new, like a group of people that normally aren't at that venue for metal shows there uh, for heavy music. And it was young kids. It was, you know, older people. Um, 
and it, it just created a very int- interesting atmosphere. Um, when you kind of look off from the stage, and I assume that this wasn't unique to Chicago, you see this at festivals and at club shows. Uh, when you look off from the stage and you kind of see this, is it important to you and what do you kind of make of it? Well, it's hard to, for, yeah. What do we make of it? I feel like when thinking of how you describe that Chicago crowd and stuff, uh, immediately I think, yeah, maybe we connect with the Vakenites, like like a Vakken open air festival in Germany of of North America quite a bit. Maybe that's some, but I don't, I don't know. I feel like we have have a, a very wide span of people. And, you know, if you crunch the numbers as you can, because Big Brother is watching you, and so are we, then we know that, you know, they are usually a bunch of uh, young men between the ages of 18 and 24 are the main demographic, but then it spreads and they are not in a vast majority. And then gender and age, it goes all over the place pretty fast. Um, and then I know for whatever reason, in some countries, some areas, we skew slightly younger than in others. And I think it just speaks of where metal is at in particular places in the world at this particular time. And, uh, but what do I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't think I make so much out of it. It's you. I don't stand on stage thinking demographics. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I don't really think like, of course, I feel like there are people clearly what we do resonates with with them. So in that sense, they are our people. And I don't think they could there couldn't be anyone there what I would feel there that they are not our people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it was something I also noticed. Uh, and I, it was one of my favorite things about the live streams, too, was the intro where, again, you kind of engaged with your fans and you said, hey, like, send us a video and of you saying, you know, enthusiastically avatar. And I didn't know that that word could be pronounced that many ways. And it was, it was just like a, it was, it was really. As far uh, as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, our band name is avatar. Uh-huh. Avatar yeah. is not an English word. Mm-hmm. Fuck you and your cultural imperialism. It's, yeah. it's from Hinduism, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, yeah, it's the Hindus came up with that thing, you know? Then mm-hmm. your computer nerds over there programming this dystopian hellscape we live in today, uh, of course, are to use it for something in in our video games and on our, on our forums and probably porn porn sites as well. Um, you know, and in, in that sense, but it's it is not an English word. Uh, mm-hmm. It is it is spelled the same pretty much in every language that I have encountered in. We are. Avatar, 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 you know, depending on where you are in the world, which is a pretty cool thing that we, we didn't think about back in the day, but it's for them. But I do agree with you, Alexia. I also thought it was fucking awesome to watch when they cut that mm. together because we just had it up there. So we had no idea what to expect. And uh, they, uh, uh, some people edited that together to mm. put it in front of the shows and, uh, it was uh, very, very uh, enjoyable to view. And I also thought of the very same thing you just mentioned, that uh, here's a lot of very different people from different parts of the world 
same avatar in whatever way fits them the best. And uh, this is pretty fun, especially enjoyed the families. When, when we talk about the fans, obviously they don't really, you're writing your music for you, but how much do the fans play into um, your live show dynamic when you're playing, planning out the set list? Do you listen to the fans and what they want to hear to an extent, or do you, uh, um, in a large part, just, we are the band, we're going to play what we want to play, and either you come to the show and enjoy it or not? We want to make the best possible shows for anybody who paid their hard-earned money to want to spend a night uh, in our company. Yeah. Uh, we we want to make them happy, mm-hmm. and uh, and I. That does not mean that we are actively discarding songs or anything like that. It's just we have a pretty good sense of how to build up a uh, dramatic drama what do you say dramaturgic like, a, the, like yeah, yeah like like this uh, almost like a narrative yeah unspoken narrative with how this is songs in terms of intensity yes you have those things you have to play because and have to yeah because they are those songs are so damn beloved by so damn many of the people who are into us so and we love them too and we love them so. too that's why we put them on albums to begin with so you know so of course they're going to be there then for our sake and the audience's sake there's a value in deep cuts and there's a way to to you know how you lay that out that will help the deep cuts and the crowd pleasers or whatever we should call them uh, to have them make maximum sense i also feel in the art of what we're doing there are different stages of it and like john was mentioning before when so when we do an album we have to do it for ourselves we have to gamble every time with that this might be the end of us as a band everybody might hate this you know it's nothing we try to achieve but we have we always stay i always make peace with myself upon releasing an album that Okay, if this is it, am I happy with it? Yes. Okay, cool. And that is the re- writing and recording of the music. Being on the stage, that art form, communicating with people, that's the art of show business. That's a completely different. And there it is. You can make, you can record songs and be successful at your art by purely pleasing yourself or whoever you choose to please with it live shows is a different it's a different art form if it's a different genre and there uh, crowd pleasing it's it's yeah we there we are our colleagues are uh magicians and pro wrestlers and uh, jugglers and acrobats and uh, stand-up comedians and ballet dancers and whatever you want you know like and so yeah there it, it is crowd pleasing i would but i don't think we if we listen to the crowd as far as we know what's what which songs of ours end up being more popular than others but we also i guess feel a bit like hey leave it to the professionals we have done we have done a lot of bad set lists and then we have fixed them and learned something about how to pace the pacing of a show when you're uh when you're taking your music and thinking about it in the sense of uh, how you want to perform it on a tour or in support of an album. Um, 
where where do, where do you begin with uh, figuring out how that's going to work? Are the visuals something that you that uh, play into the music at all, or are you taking finished compositions and then saying, okay, well, what's the visual story we want to tell with this? Depends, I guess. Mostly yeah. we have songs that are done, and then when someone comes up with something cool that can be done with it live. But sometimes that idea comes when you hear a riff for the first time. That's something super early, like, oh, and then and then I could, you know, come down, <laughs> slide, right. slide down something, you know, and ride in on an elephant. And then we know that we're going to buy an elephant for the next tour. You know? <laughs> There's like the macro and a mi mi micro perspective yeah. of, of a live show too like uh, i guess that first of all what we tried to figure out is what kind of tour is this that we want to do you know like you can't just bring an elephant in case off we would need an elephant <laughs> which which would never happen because we, and we no, don't use animals a, obviously a <laughs> yeah. robot elephant like we're yeah. not gonna build a robot elephant in case janice want to ride in on a robot elephant at some show uh, so there, there's like, first of all, it's like, do we want to do something like pornographic, like huge stage sets and fire and, uh, uh, you know, like just porn, or do we want to do something that is more, has some more mysticism more like, yeah, something more serious, something like, more erotic, like, something that leaves a bit more in the yeah. mind has to work a bit for it to, to reach that climax. And that kind of, you know, sets the guidelines of how the production is going to look like in its, how, how we're going to set everything up and what are we going to do? And then you start to look into individual songs and how to put together a set list that, that is uh, um, entertaining from all the way through uh, and how to build that with the production you have. So. And again, uh, how many tours have we done with a proper production? I mean, like, it's not that many after mm -hmm. all. We've been a band for half our life, but like, uh, we've only been able to actually afford some sort of production for the last couple of years. I don't know. I just remember when we had a tiny front drop in front of our tiny light sign and the button yeah. I was supposed to press. Yeah, exactly. Then on our biggest show of all time, which I guess we played for 270 people. I forgot to yeah. press the button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were kind of, uh, even fr even early on, you were, you were doing things like building that sign that had lights. I mean, I remember when mm. that was a project that was uh, in progress. And, you know, I think that, for younger bands, that's not something that they would be that were at your that were at the point where you were. Not a lot of bands were committing that time or those resources to something like that. So I think that, like, from what I see on the outside, in a way, your kind of uh, vision for like a live show has always been bigger than what you probably were at that time and that has just sort of scaled sure. up over time in a way sure absolutely but i must say in all fairness if it sure not every band would stand there and build that particular light sign but i think that kind of drive and that kind of view of yourself 
you you will find inside bands of with a you know completely different bands but in their own way they all did something like that in regards to the music or how it were released or their attitude somewhere along the way most successful bands has something like that i mean like basically you have to be crazy you have to be it's always be willing to do that thing whatever that thing is and to work extra hard on your stage show so that those two people uh, who work at that cafe and are forced to watch your show that no one came to will be entertained by your light sign you know like it's this I, I don't know that willingness to couch surf into your 30s until you someone for the first time will actually pay you to play somewhere or you know it, it's there it's there in ghost as well it's there in take your pick that someone was crazy enough to rehearse that much or bet that much on yourself to the detriment of you know missing out other opportunities of a normal life people are crazy the option mm -hmm. would be to not do those things like the option would be <laughs> to not build the light sign at that age and uh those bands you don't hear about anymore because mm -hmm. the option like if you are not committed to do should this thing sign or go home and not <laughs> mm -hmm. should yeah. i write a song or not should we take this show or not should we stay one hour longer and rehearse or not should you know should are we and you know that always we always end up doing those things we will we are always end up we, we are always end up willing to do those things uh that the band requires to for us to be able to carry on and that is still there you know and in terms of course when we were younger it was about making these tremendous sacrifices and now may, maybe when we are in the age we are now it's more about maybe sometimes compromises but it's still from the same place how do we move forward doing this thing we want to do you know mm -hmm. uh absolutely and i think to the to the point of what of what you had just said, Johannes, that all those bands that we were talking about earlier, the Amana Mars, the Sabatons, the Inflames, the uh, all those bands that have uh, that have done really well kind of outside of outside of home and outside of Europe um, have had that underlying factor in some way, um, or at least like, you know, the members that have stuck with the band the longest have had that in them in uh, in some way. Um, when when did uh when you kind of uh started to do really well in the in the US did things kind of uh also sort of turn in Sweden too i know like one thing that we've talked about with a couple of guests and i think we've probably spoken about this outside of the podcast is that uh for some bands success in Sweden comes when Sweden can see that you've done that you've made it somewhere else uh, do you feel as though that may have ended up being the case for you as well, or have this, has their trajectory been a little bit different there? No, uh, most, most certainly. At yeah. least if you look on Gothenburg, if you look on Stockholm, we're still, we're still uh, at the same. Uh, Stockholm still has a couple of more years to go, probably. Because we're working from west to east, slowly, yeah. through Europe. Because after after U.S. happened, you know, France, Spain, UK start to happen. And now Germany is kind of happening. Denmark was nice last time. 
Western half of Sweden, you know, we're eating our way through the nation. Now we've had some cool stuff in Russia and, uh, you know, so we keep eating our way around. So it seems we will hit Hawaii, the coast of Hawaii in uh, 2035. I guess looking forward, um, obviously you're doing a lot of writing right now. As far as like in the, in the future, is there anything visual arts, performance art wise or literature that you're gaining inspiration from? And then does touring with other bands, does their influence rub off on you anyways when you're playing with them or? Do you feel like your influence is solely your own as a unit? No, no, like we can be extremely influenced by bands we tour with. Uh, has nothing to do with their popularity or not, though. Like it can be people that open for us as well. Just great. We, I don't measure the size of things we like. Uh, so it can definitely happen in terms of inspiring, inspiring consumption of media and art right now. I really enjoyed Harakiri for the Sky, which just released a new album. I thought that was great. Love Tribulation and their new album is also great. Uh, that's two very recent ones. And uh, I don't know, there's a lot of different stuff. I like watching YouTubers who talk about music theory or or who catalog, uh, you know, do pieces on old one hit wonders and their impact on the world, you know, like, so I like that. I know that uh, I played that video game cyberpunk and uh, it's a glitchiness and I should probably should have waited a year, but uh, in that you, uh, you can ride your motorcycle in this futuristic landscape and there are radio channels that play black and death metal and the particular choices of black and death metal in that video game and how it's contextualized in that just put extreme music in a new environment then it's less medieval and church burning and it just gave me like me kind of and it's very post rock the kind a lot of the bands that are on that playlist in those games so that kind of just now open up a slightly different avenue for me and how i think about uh, extreme music at the moment oh and also like a fictional band in that game is being played by refused so I listen a bit to refused again uh, that those are things I'm sitting with those that Swedish artist Simon Stålenhag he did um, the English titles of those books are things from the flood and tales from the loop um, and I look through those right now that is giving me a huge kick of uh, Don Andersson, uh, uh, worker class uh, poet from the last beginning of the 1900s, I guess, in Sweden. Isn't that the guy who died from uh, poison? I Don Andersson? I don't know. Did he? Yes. Yeah. I, just... I, I think I heard about him on the radio on a P1 show. He's very much a P1 kind of poet, you know. Göran Greider loves Don Andersson, you know. Uh, yeah, and they have this uh, show that where they are talking about uh, poison. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to see here. 
uh, whatever. It, it doesn't really. Death. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He died. Uh, yeah, so by cyanide. He was not very famous at no, all. Not but after uh, typical after his death. After his death, he became very famous. And his, but it's is uh, yeah. I'm just scraping the surface there, but that's something. Uh, no, so you know, there's a bunch of different shit all the time. I just also got what is it called? Oh yeah, the Future Bites by Stephen Wilson. Also mm -hmm. great. And it's like, so yeah. What about uh, for you, John? Uh, don't end it. Well, what I'm. Uh, it texted me a couple of weeks ago that you started to listen to Typo Negative finally. Yeah, yeah. I've been listening to like going through like some of these records you really should listen to, but that I just like. Of course, I know Typo Negative. I've mm -hmm. heard type of negative. Of course, I've listened to type of negative, but I never really listened to type of negative. And I like, I took some time to like start listening to stuff, <laughs> such as type of negative, mm. Nine Inch Nails, um, and then of course all my usual Icelandic uh, artists that sing and. Super, super slow and the usual ones and uh, some Daft Punk because they quit. So I had to listen to a lot of oh, Daft yeah. Punk lately. And uh, oh, and I got like late to the party wise that what I've been obsessed over a bit now was a ministry. I was like a, losing my shit over ministry and i'm like why that is another one that's that a, that's when i was 15 was perfect that's, that, that is another one of those that i yeah. of, of course i've heard ministry but i yet haven't really listened to ministry of course yet. just one more just one fix and and uh, jesus built my heart out and all that but wait a minute oh yeah they made these albums that i meant to get around to like oh i okay, should, uh, I should start uh, listening to there are many ministries <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's good stuff. Uh, so it's uh, no, it's a lot of. I think I've been consuming quite a bit of different stuff lately, as far as cool and interesting music and art, and just this jumping down random rabbit holes on what can be done. I don't know if I start reading off liked songs as of just the last few days on Spotify is um, it's a hoot I tell you <laughs> this is this is podcast cold just uh, let's see let's listen to um, oh yeah Jan you one song as always a little bit um, but Duran uh, Duran <laughs> uh, oh yeah I randomly I was looking for another song this is I guess it's Japanese Yutaka Yamada I guess it's Japanese, but they have a song that in Sweden it just says Kyrkan, which is not what it means, but that's how I discovered it. But it was really, really good. Uh, <laughs> that, of course, means the cock. I also mm -hmm. found on Spotify an old favorite from back in our youth center days, John Hata Captain is on Spotify. So I've been listening no to No way. That. <laughs> yes, way. How is, how is it? Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's Hata Captain. Did it age well? <laughs> uh, yeah, it totally did. I, I have a different... I, 
opinion about that kind of music today than we did back then, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I did listen to the monolith. This is so fucking... I just went in on Spotify and searched up Hata Katten and I see fans also like snorting Maradonas. Oh, fuck yeah. That's a good band name. That is another... Oh, yeah. Klasskamrater. What a fucking great <laughs> punk. Yeah. That... How punk can you man, translate yeah. that? Classmates. Uh, class classmates. Yeah. yeah, classmates for a punk band. That's... But it's, it also uh, sounds like class comrades, the way you say it in Sweden. <laughs> I went back to a bit to Zero Seven. Uh, um, oh, and CSS from Brazil. Like, let's make love and listen to Death from Above. Uh, that's something I have missed before. Uh, the Swedish dude Gato Plan, which sounds like Stugra Plan's frisur. It's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The- well, uh, I think we can uh, we can kind of wrap up here. Uh, this was a really awesome conversation. Um, thank you so much for taking your time. Do you guys uh, have any uh, last words for folks? Check out Ku Aversarek by Norlota. Uh, you know, like people, we are called Avatar because we just love James Cameron that damn much. And... Uh, we exist on on the internet and in the real world. It's easy. There we lost Johannes, so uh, I guess that I'm is gone. where. No, you're He's not. Gonna... <laughs> you can Google us, uh, Avatar Spacebar Band, and you will find stuff by Avatar <laughs> the Band. And I think we'll uh, we'll make some stuff available on the show notes for everyone too. So, John, Johannes, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you.